and amen. Come on, give God some praise this morning. Excited. And welcome our newest member to the worship team, Sharon. Yeah. She's going to be doing a... She's going to be doing a solo next Sunday for us. Is that right? <laughs> First Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 2 this morning. First Samuel chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. I can't see the letters so bad. Here's what the Word of God says. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Paneah. Paneah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord's at that time were two sons of Eli, Hophen and Phinehas. And I want you to notice something in this verse. On the days that Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Paneah and each to his children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion. Because the Lord had given her no children. So Panina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. And year after year, it was the same. Panina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle each time. And Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why are you so downhearted? Just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Terrible advice for a husband when you're hurting. But I want to preach to you this Sunday on the subject on what I found interesting in this story, but actually in verse 17 through 18. In that case, Eli said, the priest, go in peace to Hannah. May the God of Israel grant the request that you have been asking him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again. And she was no longer sad. And I want to preach to you this morning that very subject. No longer sad. Let's pray. Father, bless this word today. As I believe in my heart today, Lord, this message was given to me by you because so many of us need a cure for sadness. We love you, we believe in you, we're walking faithfully with you, but sadness happens. Father, help us to see, to understand this passage so that we can leave this place here this morning free. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would use me today to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. As we go into this subject, no longer sad. Come on, say that with me. No longer sad. How many of you are sad this morning? One person, two. How many of you are sad but don't want to admit it? Well, obviously, because we're Christians, we're not supposed to ever be sad. Amen? Amen. No, don't amen to that. It's not true. 
It's a lie that we believe that Christians should never be sad. It's, it's because if you're sad, man, you're, you don't have faith. If you're sad, you don't trust God. No, if you're sad, you're human. If you're sad, you're human. You know that even Jesus got sad. He looked at Jerusalem and he began to weep in sadness. You know that even great men of God, like Elijah, went through periods of sadness where he wouldn't eat and he went through a period of depression. Throughout the book of Psalms, David, a man after God's own heart, often wrote about his anguish and his sadness. So let's make one thing clear. Sadness is normal for a Christian. It happens. You get bad news, you get sad. You don't get what you really want in life, you get sad. You see other people hurting, you get sad. Other people hurt you, you get sad. Sometimes you get sad and you don't even know why you're sad, you're just sad. It happens. It's common. And when I read the Bible here in this passage, I read about this woman named Hannah who was going through a season of sadness. You see, Hannah was sad because as a woman in that culture, you had two purposes, two goals in life. You were to get married and have babies. That's it. And as a woman in the Bible, if you were married and could not have children, it was pretty shameful, embarrassing. And oftentimes you will see women get so desperate, they would get other women to marry their husbands and have babies so that they wouldn't feel as bad. This is why we see a man named Elkanah with two wives, because we believe that she got so desperate, she actually told her husband, why don't you marry another woman that can give you what I can't? Could you imagine being Hannah and the sadness of knowing you can't give your husband what he wants? So Hannah resulted to being very depressed. She was often very sad to the point that the Bible says she cried so much she wouldn't even eat. That is clinical depression. She did not even want to eat. And what's truly sad about this passage is that she was a believer of God. She would go and give sacrifices by the tabernacle. She would pray to the Lord. She was a God-fearing woman, but she was very sad. And I believe that someone here came to church this morning. You wanted to maybe worship or listen to a word because you love God, you believe in God. But if you're honest with yourself, you're saying, Pastor, I'm going through a season of sadness. Hannah was sad because all she wanted was a baby. All she wanted was a child. And maybe she thought, one day I'll be a mother, and she got married, and she had this excitement that now I'm married, and now I'm going to have kids, and now I'm going to have a purpose in life. But as years went by, nothing. She wanted a child so bad, she got so depressed. What's truly sad about this passage 
is that the Bible says the Lord prevented her from having any. The Lord prevented her from having kids? See, it's in those moments, if we're honest, it's in those moments we don't understand God. There are some things in your life you want so bad. Maybe it is a child. Maybe it's a job or a certain promotion or a house or whatever it is. But there's something in your life you want, but the Lord is preventing you from having it. And we don't understand why God does this. In our hearts we say, Lord, why can't you just give me what I want? You can just speak and it happens. Why can't you just give me what I desire? Oh, and it gets worse. Not only is it difficult to understand God when He prevents you from having what you want, but it's difficult to understand God when He gives other people what you want and He lets you see it. And other people are living your life. And other people are given by God, what you thought He would give you. And other people are living your dream. And you're telling God, Lord, I know you could do it, but you're not doing it for me. And I know you could do it because you did it for them. See, this is the place that Hannah is at right now. She wants a baby so bad, but she can't understand why God has prevented her from having it. And her entire season through this trial, she's watching another woman pop babies left and right. And she just keeps having kids and having kids. And all she wants is one. And she can't have it. You're going to go through seasons in life that God's going to close the womb. God's going to close the door. God's going to close the opportunity. God's going to say, not yet. You're not going to understand why. It's not going to make sense to you. But can I give you a verse that has helped me throughout those moments in my life? Psalm 1830. God's ways, God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. God's way is perfect. That word perfect in the Hebrew is a word that means, it's literally pronounced tema. That tema literally means without defect, without flaw. So you know what God is saying here in Psalms? When it comes to my way in your life, I don't make mistakes. I don't have flaws. I don't do things wrong. 
But if we're honest with ourselves and you look at what you're going through in your life or what you have gone through, does it ever feel like God is flawed? Does it ever feel like God has made a mistake? Have you gone through something so tragic that you begin to tell yourself, no God, this can't be right. You have to be doing something wrong. This doesn't fit with your plan. Why are you allowing me to go through this? God doesn't make mistakes, but it feels like he has. It it felt like... God made a mistake when Hannah couldn't have children. And for all those parents that are trying, not mean lack of parents, for all those couples that are trying to have a baby but they can't, it's easy for you to think to God and say, Lord, this is wrong of you. This makes no sense. Or for anyone that has children but has lost them. It feels like God has made a mistake when he takes a young precious life too early. It feels like God has made a mistake when the doctors tell you you have cancer. It feels like God has made a mistake when we've lost our jobs. And it feels like God has made a mistake when you're not in a certain place in your life you thought you'd be in. When life has not turned out the way you thought it would. And God says, I am not flawed. My way is perfect. So whenever you're going through those seasons that God prevents you from having what you want, you have to tell yourself this song. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, it seems wrong of you. But Lord, your word says your way is perfect. You make no mistakes. So if I'm going through this right now, you have a plan and you have a purpose for it. Help me to understand. But see, as we're going through these seasons in our lives, it feels like God is wrong. But God says in this psalm, my way is perfect. And all the Lord's promises prove true. Every promise God has made in this book will prove true. That is why it is so vital you get the word of God in you. Because in those seasons that the doors are closed and you don't understand and the devil is telling you God has wronged you, you can say no because the ways of the Lord are perfect, flawless, no mistakes, and I will trust in his word. His word will prove true. When you're in trouble, get the word of God in you. Because it will prove to be true. I heard of a woman, an elderly woman, that after leaving church, she got home at night. And when she opened her door, she saw a burglar going through her home. And she was afraid and she was terrified. And all she could do and remember was, I know I have to quote the word of God. But in that moment, it's hard to really remember the Word of God. So the only thing this elderly woman said was, Acts 2.38! 
which is repent in the name of Jesus so that you will have your sins forgiven. And all she said was, Acts 2.38, and the burger stops. Doesn't move. She said, it's working. She calls the police, they come and cuff him. And as they're taking him away, the cop tells the burglar, I got to ask you something. Why, why didn't you run? All this woman did was quote scripture. And he says, scripture? No. She says she had an axe and 238. <laughs> when you're in trouble, you quote the word of God. Amen. And if all else fails, grab yourself a 38. I don't know, but listen. The word of God proves to be true. So what was hard for Hannah to understand was why is God preventing this from my life? And the hardest thing Hannah went through was not just that she was barren. It wasn't just that she was sad. It wasn't just that she went to worship and give sacrifices, but she was still sad. The problem with Hannah was in verse 7. The Bible says that year after year, it was the same. And sometimes it's not the problems that you have that has you sad. It's the duration of the problem. It's the fact that you've gone through this year after year or month after month or week after week or day after day and nothing changes. It's the same thing, the same year, the same problem, the same situation. I have the same circumstances. Everything is the same. I have to go to the same job to deal with the same people. People and have the same problems to do it all over again and life is the same and everything is the same and I'll never get over it because nothing ever changes. I have the same problems. I have the same position. I have the same people and God does nothing year after year after year after year. Why would anything change? It's been like this for years and year after year I pray to God. Nothing changes. Year after year, you say, this is my year for change. And guess what? No change. It's the same as last year. Have you ever been through a season that is just the same? The same. You know what the devil tells me every Sunday? Guess what's going to happen today? Same. You're going to go to the same church with the same people. You're going to see the same empty chairs, deal with the same problems. You're going to go home. You're going to take a nap. You're going to get up. You're going to have your day off on Monday. But come Tuesday through Sunday, everything's going to be the same. Nothing's ever going to change. Come on, am I preaching to someone? Have you ever gone through the same? It's just the same. I was thinking about this yesterday in my brother's baby shower, how my parents prayed for years for a grandson, but her sons couldn't find decent women. <laughs> Same thing every year. 
Mom, admit it. You gave hope. You, you lost hope a little, right? She lost hope. <laughs> and that's why I figured why she just cried when she saw that my brother told her they were having a baby. Yeah, come on, praise God, because you can go through the same thing. And at any moment, God can change it. And yeah, life is the same. Life is a routine. But you serve a God that can change it. And I believe that Hannah got frustrated. Hannah got discouraged and Hannah got really upset and depressed, not just because she couldn't have a child, but that it was happening year after year. She began to lose hope. You know what happens to us when we go through the same thing? And why we get so sad? It's because as you go through the same thing more and more, every year, every year, every day, same thing, you lose hope. And hope is the expectation of something good. But see, when you're hopeless, you're convinced that nothing good is ahead. That's it. It's over. My best days are behind me. Why? Well, because nothing's changed. Pastor, everything is the same. Do you know that that can make you sick? Proverbs 13, 12 tells us this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a dream that's fulfilled is a tree of life. See, let me explain what this proverb is telling us. When you have a dream and it's fulfilled, it brings life. That word life literally means joy. When you have a dream that has been fulfilled, it is common to feel an overwhelming sense of joy. But when those dreams are not fulfilled, you're in danger of having your hope deferred. And that word deferred literally means to put something off. So you know what happens to you as you go through the same thing every day? You came in with a dream, a desire. You said, man, one day I'm going to be here. One day I'm going to have this like Hannah. One day I'm going to be a mom. One day I'm going to have a family. I'm going to be a wife. I'm going to have a home. And what happened? Year after year, the same thing. Nothing. Dreams weren't fulfilled. And there's a lot of dreams here and desires that have not been fulfilled. Some of you, you've walked into this church and your hope is deferred. You don't think that better days are coming. You don't think that God can change it because you've been like this for years. And your hope has been put off. You stop praying about it. You stop thinking about it. You stop dreaming about it. You just put it off. And when your hope is deferred, the Bible says your heart gets sick. You begin to feel anxiety. You begin to feel hopeless. You begin to feel depression. And as a result of this, you begin to walk through life in deep sadness. And there are so many people living this life with sadness today. 
Because you've really stopped believing, you've really stopped hoping, and you've been telling yourself, why would I ever change? Why would things ever change? It's been the same year after year after year. And you're expecting God to do something. But you're asking yourself, why? Why does God allow this in my life? Why the same thing every year? Well, let me explain something to you. Have you ever ordered a package online? It's something that you wanted, it's something that you ordered, and it arrives, especially if it's something valuable or precious, it arrives at your house. And I don't know about you, but this happened a while back. But as I opened my package and I really expected to get what I wanted, guess what I saw? Peanuts. You ever seen packing peanuts before? I couldn't see my package, but all I saw was peanuts. And when I thought about this, I started thinking, wait a minute. Why are these in here? You see, likewise, a lot of times you're expecting something that you wanted, you open it up, and all God gives you is peanuts. And the peanuts to you, they seem worthless. Have you ever opened up a package and said, Yeah, peanuts! No. You kind of just grab it and push it aside and toss it around, and to you it's it's worthless, it's insignificant, it means nothing to you. But do you know that those packing peanuts were put in there for a purpose? They were put in there for a reason to protect that very thing you wanted from being damaged. And see, let me explain what God does. See, God has a call for your life. He has a precious call on your life. But sometimes, in order to protect that calling, He has to put you through seasons that maybe seem worthless to you. He puts you through trials that serve a purpose. And there's a reason behind where you're at right now in your life. There's a reason you're going through what you're going through. And maybe at first glance, you can't understand it. It seems worthless. It seems insignificant. But God is saying, if you only knew that there's a reason I'm putting this in your life. But see, sometimes we can't really appreciate those things in our lives because all we're focused on is what we want. And you're so caught up in what you want. That you treat everything else God's doing like worthless. God is protecting you. He's blessing you. He's doing all these things in your life. But your whole focus is I need this. I want this. I want this. And you're so caught up in what you want. You really ignore what you need. You take for granted those seasons that are actually helping you. You take for granted those seasons in your life that are actually purposeful. 
And this is why today we have so many sad people and so many ungrateful people in the church because all we're focused on is what I want. This is all that's in your head. And you go to church and you're like, but God, I can't be happy because I want this and I want that and why won't you give me what I want? And God says, because you have to go first through what you need. And I know that it seems like peanuts to you. But there's a purpose behind what you're going through. And if you don't understand it, but when you believe that God's ways are perfect, you can appreciate the peanut seasons because you know they're working for you, not against you. But see why this is so discouraging? is because when I first opened the pack, it was buried. And I couldn't see it. Because it was covered in peanuts. And sometimes God is putting you through what you think is so worthless, so insignificant, so meaningless. I don't see the value in this. That it feels like you can't even see what God is doing because you're just covered up in so many problems and trials. But you know why... We're sad. It's because when I opened up the box and I saw peanuts, I didn't call Amazon and say, yo, what's up? Why are there peanuts in my box? I didn't get sad and say, where is it? Where's what I want? I can't see it. None of that happened. You know why? Because deep down inside, I know that underneath the peanuts, I got what I need. You see... In our instinct, we just go through the peanuts and we grab what we need. But listen, if you can just get through the peanuts, you're going to see God meet your needs. But you have to get through it. But a lot of Christians, we drown in the peanuts. And we say, God, I just don't understand. And Maria, I'm so sorry, but I have to preach. It's just peanuts. So maybe if you're going through a situation you don't like, you say, oh, it's just peanuts. And God has you in a job you don't like, but you know one day you're going to get out of there and better things are coming. You say, I'm working for peanuts. When you're going through a trial you don't understand, you say, Lord, I know there's a reason, there's a purpose, but this is just peanuts. And I'm going to get through it. But the reason so many of us live life so depressed and discouraged and hopeless is because this is all in your mind. The Bible says, what causes fights and quarrels and strife among you? And it answers the question. It says, you want something, you don't get it. So you fight and you bicker and you kill, the Bible says. You know why you're so frustrated and why you're so angry and why you can't enjoy your life and you sit through church miserable and you go through the week sad? It's because this is all on your mind. I didn't get what I want. They're not doing what I want. 
It's not what I wanted. So because it's not what I want, I'm going to resolve to be miserable, sad, depressed, discouraged. But God says what you want might not be what you need because I am a God that will meet your needs, not your wants. But if you can trust me and know that my ways are perfect, you might actually get through the peanuts. There is a purpose behind what you're going through. You want proof of this? When I was younger, not that long ago, and I was interning at this church, my pastor said, David, you want to be in ministry? Yeah. You think you have a call in life? Yeah. All right, this is your new ministry. Yeah. Grab that broom and start cleaning the church every service. And clean the bathrooms while you're at it. And I said, I don't get the re- Why am I? And I remember I was cleaning the bathrooms and I was sweeping the floors and I was doing all of that. And in my mind, I was telling God, this makes no sense. I don't understand it. This is worthless. I don't get it. And about a year later, for some reason, my pastor said, listen, David, I've been watching you clean without complaining. And I think I could use someone like you in our church planning department. You know what I said? Church planning? I would never do that. But I, I started learning the church planning things. And I hated it. And every meeting I went to about church planning and what to do to plan a church and how to plan a church, in my mind, I honestly said, I don't need to learn this. I would never plan a church. And I fast forward years and years later up to this moment today. And I look back and I realize the peanut years had a purpose to bring me where I'm at today. So, Maria, if you ask me to pick up a broom today, I can do it. I won't, but I will if I have to. But you see, the peanut stages are hard. But they serve a purpose. Maybe God has not given you what you wanted. And like Hannah, you're getting a little impatient. You're getting a little frustrated. You're getting a little joyless. You're getting a little bitter. You're getting a little jealous. You're getting a little depressed, discouraged, and sad. And Hannah, when I read the final verses of the story, and I saw that she got happy, She had peace, and her life was forever changed, even though she did not get the baby at that time. The Bible says she went on in peace, she began to eat again, and had joy again. You know, as a believer, I want to tell you that absence of joy is not because you don't have what you want. You can have joy even if you're in a season of your life you don't really want. 
You can have peace in the midst of a circumstance that is difficult. She did not have joy. She did not have peace because God finally answered her prayer. Her life was forever transformed. Her life was forever blessed because she did this one thing that cured her sadness. This one thing blessed her life. She did this one thing and she was not sad anymore. Do you want to know what this one thing is? You ready? Say, yeah, pastor, what is it? Tell me. Say, tell me. All right, ready? Brace yourself. Ready? Say, ready? All right. I can't tell you yet. Until I tell you why she was sad in the first place. I want to tell you the three mistakes Hannah made that got her to a place of utter sadness and depression. And I guarantee that maybe you have at least one of these three. And if you have all three, you better be at this altar this morning. Because I need to pray for you. Here are the three mistakes Hannah made. Number one, verse five and six. The Bible says, although he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had not given her any children. So Peniel would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Number one, the first mistake Hannah made was comparison. Hannah saw that her husband was giving her more portions to Hannah than her. And when she saw Paniah get more portions because she had more children, when she saw that, it reminded her of what she did not have. So when she saw what she had, it reminded her what she did not have. And that's what comparison does. Comparison puts you in a position where you look at what other people have and automatically it puts you in a position where you focus on what you don't have. And when you focus on what you don't have because you're caught up in what other people have, you can't appreciate what you do have. And this is why so many people live frustrated and discontent and are ungrateful today. I believe we live in one of the most ungrateful times in our lives. Because this is one of the eras where comparison is at an all-time high. We want to look at what other people have. Look at what they're wearing. Look at where they're living, what they're driving, what they work, how much money they made, how where they vacation, what they're doing, their talents. Look at everything they have. And the devil will automatically put you to a place of focus and say, look at what you don't have. Look at what you're missing. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill 
and that wife or that husband of yours not even appreciate them is compare them to another spouse. I believe this church is special, don't you? But all it takes is me comparing our church to another church to kill how special this church is. And the reason you can't appreciate what God is doing in your life is because you live in constant comparison to others. And that's what has you joyless. That's what has you discontent and discouraged. You know, I read this week the story of Saul. And Saul was a mighty warrior. He killed thousands of people. And he was so proud. I never noticed it. But he was so proud of his accomplishments, he made a monument of himself. It's in the Bible. And Saul made a monument of himself. He had confidence. But a few chapters later, he hears the women in the city singing a song that said, David has killed his tens of thousands. When Saul, you've only killed your thousands. And the Bible says that an evil spirit consumed him. He got filled with rage and anger and jealousy. But just a minute ago, Saul, you were happy about that. You were proud of that. But the minute comparison came, so did the devil. And it got him not to appreciate what he had. So much so that God had to take it away from him. If you don't appreciate what God has given you, he will gladly give it to someone else. You may not like where you're at in your life. You may not like your job. But there are many unemployed people that will gladly take it from you. You may not like your husband. There is a crazy widow out there that will gladly take him. You may not like your children sometimes. There are some barren parents that would give anything for them. You always have a reason to appreciate where you're at. But Hannah couldn't see it because she lived in constant comparison. Always looking at everyone else. Always thinking about what others had. And all it takes is a comparison to get you to a place of discouragement. But verse 5 tells us, her husband loved her. Let's make one thing clear here today. You're going to see God give other people more. You're not always going to have the best. But no matter what season you're in in your life, no matter what you don't have, remember that God loves you. And the reason that Hannah did not have the same portions that Paneah had is because Hannah did not have the children she had. In other words, she did not need more portions. 
If you're living in constant comparison, you want to be cured from it? You have to begin to tell yourself this, question, this awesome truth. If I don't have it, it's because I don't need it. And when I need it, God will meet it. Because God says, I will supply all your needs according to my riches. If I don't have it, I don't need it. And when I need it, God will meet it. And that will bring you joy. See, people like Pania like to brag about what they have. And she made the mistake of allowing that to get her sad. So the first mistake she made was comparison. If you don't have it, you don't need it. And when you need it, God will meet it. So until then, trust Him. And apply 1 Thessalonians 4.11 to your life. Make it your goal to live a quiet life minding your own business. The reason you're so miserable is because you don't mind your own business. For all of you who just have to see and know what other people have and what they're doing and why God did it for them and not me, mind your business in Jesus' name. And work with what you have. And say, Lord, forgive me for not appreciating. The second mistake Hannah made is in verse 7. Year after year, it was the same. Paniah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. The second mistake that Hannah made is she made her wants the ultimate goal for happiness. Let me explain this one to you because it's big. A lot of us want something in our lives. I want you to think about what you want right now. But we make this mistake when it comes to our wants. I will not be satisfied till I have it. I will not feel complete until I get it. I will not be happy until I reach it. So we make these goals and we make these milestones and there's nothing wrong with that unless you're making that goal the ultimate source of fulfillment. And Hannah, she could not appreciate her family. She could not appreciate her home. She could not appreciate her husband because all she was focused on, the, her only source of happiness was having that baby. It was all she wanted. And when you make a goal, the source of your happiness, you are saying to yourself, until I get it, I'm going to be discouraged. I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be bitter. I'm going to be jealous. I'm going to live in comparison until I get it. And this is what so many of us do. We're so caught up in what we want, we just brush off everything else and we don't appreciate it. 
And we're taught this at a young age. Young people. They're in school. But don't enjoy it because all they want is to graduate. And say, I can't wait to get out of school so I can have the career. And once you have the career, you can enjoy the career because you can't wait to retire. And then once you retire, you can enjoy the retirement because you're bored and wish you can go back to work. It makes no sense to me. But we do this all the time. Single people can't enjoy being single because they want to be married. Married people can't enjoy being married because they want to be single. The single person says, I can't enjoy being single until I'm married. Enjoy the singleness until you get married. But then the married people can't, get, can't enjoy their marriage because they live in a small apartment. They say, we can't enjoy our marriage until we have a house. And then they get that house and say, oh, we can't enjoy the house until we have kids. And then they finally get kids and they can't enjoy the kids because they want them to grow up and leave. And when they grow up and leave, you say, I'd give anything to have them back at home. We're programmed to set goals. But on the way to that, we make ourselves miserable. You ever notice when you sit on an airplane and you strap on, the pilot gives you this one command? He says, sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. I believe God is telling you right now, on the way to your destination, He wants you to enjoy the journey just as much. But Hannah was so sad because she could not enjoy where she was at because she kept thinking of what she wanted. Enjoy the journey on the way to where you get there. And lastly, Hannah lived in comparison. Hannah made a milestone or a goal her source of happiness. And Hannah, verse 9 and 10, The Bible says, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. But the Bible gives us an insight here. Eli the priest was sitting at the customary place besides the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed. The Bible makes a note about Hannah. And that is that she got bitter. The reason for Hannah's sadness was not only comparison, was not only setting milestones to happiness, but she actually got bitter. And the Bible implies that she was bitter towards God here as she prayed. And if you're not careful, and you're going through life living in Sadness because you're comparing yourself to others and not going to be happy until I get what I want. Bitterness can come out of you. And I believe today there's a lot of bitter people. 
Bitterness is plaguing our country. Because life did not turn out the way you wanted. We get bitter when we don't get what we want. We get bitter towards people because they didn't treat us the way we wanted. Life is not what I wanted, so I'm going to get bitter, angry, resentful. Hebrews 12, 15 tells us, as a church, the writer says, look after each other so that none of you will fall and receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you and corrupt many. You know what the Bible warns us? That bitterness is like a root of poison. In the Bible, it was common to see these roots that were poisonous for plants. And they would just sprout out and pop up. And if you just ignored it, it would grow. You know that if you have signs of bitterness that you find yourself frustrated and angry all the time and upset, there comes a point that it begins to grow. And it grows so much, it begins to affect everything else in your life. It begins to affect not only everything in your life, the Bible says it will begin to corrupt other people around you. You'll begin to make other people just as bitter with your bitterness. Have you ever noticed that bitter people want to make other people bitter? They're not happy being bitter by themselves. They have to get around other people and they have to talk bad about things. They have to talk bad about the people. They have to talk bad about their problems. Why? Because I need you to be just as bitter as me. And Hannah became bitter. And it affected her husband. Notice her husband said, am I not worth more? See, because of her bitterness, it allowed her husband to have insecurity. It began to affect the household. And this should have been a time of worship and joy, but she ruined it. Why? Because she was bitter. And that's why she was so filled with sadness. Because bitterness will do nothing to heal you of your sadness. And as we close, maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm guilty of comparison. Because God hasn't given me what I wanted, but I see other people have it. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, I'm guilty of making milestones and goals and telling myself I'm not complete, I'm not happy until I have this in my life so I can't appreciate where I'm at. Maybe like Hannah, you're telling God, Lord, I'm angry. I'm angry because, Lord, year after year, I pray and I beg and I ask you to give me a child and you don't give it to me. Lord, I'm angry because I ask you, but all you seem to do is do it for everyone else, but not me. And I'm tired of everything being the same. But as she prays, she does this one thing that gets God to move in her life. 
And not only did God give her that one child, he gave her many more after. Do you want a God that says, I want to give you more than what you want? She did this one thing that we need, as a church, we need to practice. Verse 10 and 11 says, in deep anguish, crying bitterly, she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, Lord of heaven's army, if you will look upon my sorrow, my sadness, and if you would answer my prayer and give me a son, here's what she said. I will give him back to you. He'll be yours. See, sometimes God withholds blessings because he knows if he gives it to you, it's going to hold you back from him. But when Hannah said, listen, God, if you give me what I want, I'll give it back to you. In other words, she surrendered ownership to God. She said, Lord, if you bless me with this, I'll give you ownership. You do what you want with it. Lord, if you answer my prayer, I will use it for your glory. I will use this blessing for your kingdom. She did not make it about her anymore. She said, Lord, if you would just bless me with this, I will bless you back. See, a lot of us tell God what we want because we're selfish and self-centered. But if we can say, Lord, if you give me this, I will use it for your glory. Why wouldn't God give it to you? But God knows he can't because it's going to hold you back. So she said, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give you ownership. And I wonder how many of you have not given ownership to God over things in your life. You have a problem child in your life. I guarantee if you pray this prayer and say, Lord, I surrender ownership of that child to you, God will begin to move. If you say, Lord, if you bless me with this, I will give you ownership of it. It will not control me because you will be controlling it. So you can do what you want with it. But Lord, I'm giving it back to you. You know what she said there? Lord, I'm letting it go. That's it. And did you notice in verse 17 and 18, what we read earlier, that she went on? And the Bible says that she began to eat again, no longer sad. But did her life change? No. Was she still barren? Yes. Did she still have children? No. Nothing changed except her sadness. Why? Because she let it go. She gave God ownership of it. But as long as she tried to own it herself, she found herself miserable and discouraged and discontent. You know that there was no reason for her husband to marry another woman had Hannah trusted God? But she took ownership of it and said, I'm going to do something about it. And God says, you do you, girl. You go ahead. Let me know how it works. But whatever happened, she said, Lord, 
I'm tired of living in comparison. Lord, I'm tired of not being happy until I have this child. Lord, I'm tired of being bitter and upset. And Lord, I've tried to do this time and time again and nothing's working. I'm tired of the same thing every year. So Lord, I'm done. I'm going to let this go. And God said, finally. Now I can work. Because I know I can give you this child and you're going to give it back. You're going to use it for my glory. And when she let go, God gave her peace. And sadness was gone. Come on, let's all stand to our feet. As maybe you came into this church today and there's a deep want in your life. And with every head bowed and every eye closed today, you're praying for something you want. You're praying and you don't understand why God does these things in your life. Maybe you're going through a peanut stage. And what you're going through seems worthless and insignificant. But in my heart, I feel like the God that we serve is telling someone here today or maybe online, it's time for you to let it go and give me ownership of it. And if you give me ownership of that thing, I can do more in your life. Stop trying to fix it on your own. Stop trying to figure it out and let it go and give me ownership. Give it back to me so I can bless you. Maybe that's a dream in your life that you've lost because your hope has been deferred. Because you've grown impatient over the years. Maybe there are parents here today They're saying, we want a better marriage, we want a better home, and today we're going to give ownership of that home to God. Maybe there are couples here today who are dreaming of a baby, of a child, and they can't have it, and we don't know why. But listen, you can say, Lord, I'm giving you ownership of this. You're single, you're saying, God, I want a spouse. But until then, I will enjoy where I'm at. And I will give you ownership when that day comes. You have a child in your life that's in trouble right now. Let them go. Who better, you or God, to bring healing and restoration? Give ownership to God. Life changes when you give ownership to God. When you surrender ownership of your life to God and you give it back to the Lord, things begin to change in Jesus' name. But until then, you're going to live in comparison. You're going to be sad and bitter. Unless you pray the prayer of Hannah, Lord, I'm giving it back to you. It doesn't belong to me. And if you're here this morning and there's a dream in your heart or a problem in your life that maybe you have taken ownership of it and God says, give it back to me. I think today is a perfect day for you to say, Lord, I'm giving it back to you. I can't fix it. I can't make it happen. 
I am lost with this. I have no joy over this. I am discouraged because of this. I am depressed because of this. I lose sleep because of this. I'm in anguish because of this. And maybe, Lord, it's because it's in my hands. But now I'm giving it back to you. If that's you this morning, and you want to dream again, you want to believe again, you want to expect better things in your future, you want to see God move in the life of that person, you want to live in God's best, I dare you to do what Hannah did. Get yourself up. You pray. And you give God ownership. If that's you this morning, you're saying, Lord, I'm giving you ownership of this. I'm giving it back to you because it should not have been mine in the first place. I want you to put that hand up today where you're at. God bless you. God bless you all across the room. Let's pray this prayer together as a church. You take a moment there in your time. And you tell the Lord that we have right now, tell the Lord what's in your heart. Tell the Lord what's the same that you want to see change. Tell the Lord your biggest desire and dreams. And then say, Lord, let your will be done. Your ways are perfect. But Lord, if you would do this for me, I will give you ownership. I will give it back to you. I will use it for your glory. It will not take me away from you. Heavenly Father, you see the desires and the dreams. And like Hannah, there are many of us here who's it feels, Lord, that you have wronged us. It feels like your ways are not perfect. We go through situations we don't understand. There's some here today whose lives are the same year after year. They're praying, they're asking, they're believing, Lord. But maybe today, Lord, in the hearts of the people here, there's hope that's been deferred. And in Jesus' name, you can move mountains, you can change circumstances. So, Father, we give you back what is yours. We ask you, Lord, to take our deepest desires as we surrender it back to you. And we thank you, Lord, that like Hannah, you answered her prayer. You blessed her with more because you knew you could. You knew it would not keep her from you but that she would use what you gave her to use it to bless your kingdom. And Samuel was a mighty man of God because of a mom that prayed a prayer and said, I give it back to you, Lord. So surrender ownership today, church. Father, in Jesus' name, we also give ownership of this church to you, Lord. This is your house that you build. And whatever you do in this ministry, we will use it for your glory, God. And if you will give us our desires and our dreams, Lord, we will use it for your glory. 
And I pray for everyone here today, Father, who has gone through comparison, who has gone through discouragement, who is living with bitterness. I pray in Jesus' name that be removed and that the sadness they carry on them be gone in the name of Jesus. Bring hope, bring dreams, bring faith back into their hearts, Lord, as they surrender ownership back to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give God some praise this morning if you're here today.